You're listening to the Teach From Home podcast, the podcast that equips, educates, and encourages brand new homeschoolers. My name is Beth Pavlik. I'm a homeschooling mom to four kids. I'm the owner of the YouTube channel Teach From Home and the website BethPavlik.com, where you can find all kinds of great resources, including my online course for new homeschoolers. Welcome, and let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Teach From Home podcast. Today, I want to share with you this book, Jim Trelease's Read Aloud Handbook. And the reason that I'm sharing this is because this book made me the parent that I am today. And I'm being 100% serious. And so I read this book back when I was student teaching before I had children. I was still in college doing my student teaching to get my degree in elementary education. And I read this book. I don't even remember who recommended it to me, but I read it and I just knew exactly how I wanted to parent my children. Um, So I'm going to share it with you. And I almost just wanted to give you an overview of the entire book in one podcast episode. And then as I started to try to summarize everything in this book that I wanted to share, I realized there is no way I can summarize in one episode. We would be here all day. So I decided to break it down into chapters because there's so much good stuff to dive deep into and to share about every single thing. I was just like, I have to share this and I have to share that. So we're going to do it by chapters. And so this is going to be chapter one, what we're talking about in this episode. Um, And just to give you a little background about me as well, I grew up with my mom reading aloud to me um, in my childhood, and I grew to love reading and loving books and, you know, choosing my own books and reading in my spare time, and that was a lot of who I was as a child, was being a book lover and just reading anything and everything in my spare time. I loved it. And so I already knew that it was such an important thing that my mom had just instilled in me with her modeling of reading aloud to me and reading to herself as well. I I already knew that I was going to read to my kids um, when I had them. Um, But reading this book, the Read Aloud Handbook, really solidified why it's so important and it's not just one of those parenting things that is like oh some parents do it some parents don't it's really just a personal choice the truth is that reading aloud to your children is the most important thing that you can do as a parent and the book goes into that so this was written by jim trelease which is why it's called jim trelease's read aloud handbook this is the eighth edition And when I first got a copy of this book, it was the, you know, the edition before this. So the seventh revised edition was published in 2019. So this is from 2019. So it's updated, which is really amazing. Um, The the edition that I had was published in 2013. Um, The first edition was published in 1982. So this is a very old book, but um, it says the million copy bestseller now completely revised and updated. So it sold over a million copies. It's such an important book and I love it so much. So, So I wanted to share it with you because if you're somebody that, you know, wants to do this homeschooling thing right, the most simple 
but most important piece of advice I can give to you is to read to your children. Have so many books in your house, um, read to them every single day, um, and just build your family culture around books, which is actually something that Sarah McKenzie says from the Read Aloud Revival. I love her too. I feel like she is this generation's Jim Trelease. Like she just, she wants, she promotes reading aloud to your children and just having that whole family lifestyle centered around good books and the relationship that that builds um, and the bonds that you get by reading to your children. It's so important. So anyway, I love Sarah McKenzie, but I love Jim Trelease as well. Um, I believe that he was the pioneer. Um, so we're going to just dive into chapter one and, um, you know, just sharing all the things that I underlined, which is really hard not to just read you the whole chapter because it's just chock full. But I hope that after I've shared some of the highlights that I find most important and most memorable, all the things that I underline, I hope that it will encourage you to go buy your own copy after this um, because I want you to read it for yourself. But I'm just going to share what I find most uh, memorable, and then also just my own personal experiences of, you know, having children for the past 12 years um, and, and reading to them almost every single day of their lives and what that has, you know, how that's shaped our family and our homeschool and all of it. So in chapter one, um, the first thing, like the headline says, why read aloud? Like, why do we do it? Why is it important? Um, and so what I underlined in the first page was, I mean, the educational values of reading aloud are well documented. Introducing vocabulary, modeling fluency, demonstrating expressive reading, developing comprehension, and assisting children in making connections. So those are the educational values by reading aloud. And then there is also the personal value of listening to a book read aloud. That experience may generate vivid memories of a story associated with a person, time, or place. A memory often remaining with us for years. And that has been my personal experience. I can vividly remember sitting on my couch in my childhood home, snuggled up next to my mom under a blanket, and she was reading Make Way for Ducklings by Robert McCloskey. Or she was reading um, a Berenstain Bear book. Or I remember um, laying in my mom's bed before bedtime and her reading Treasures of the Snow. Uh, or Chronicles of Narnia, and she would do the Reepicheep voice. She was very proud of that voice, <laughs> and she did it so well, it made it come alive for me. And and there are also certain times in my life, you know, where I can remember like, oh, we were here and we read that. Um, and that's exactly what I try to do with my own kids as well. We went on a vacation to Wisconsin this summer, um, back back in July, and I decided to get a book to read aloud for bedtime that I could read to all of my kids because normally my two older boys are older and they read with their dad at night for bedtime and then my two girls share a room and I read to them at night so we read separate bedtime stories um, but in this house that we rented we the, the kids were all in the same room together and so I was like I want to read a book to all of them but we didn't bring any books with us and so I got um, an ebook on my uh, Kindle app on my phone and I got Skunk and Badger because that was a uh, recommended to me recently. And so I read Skunk and Badger aloud to them on the vacation. And so whether or not they 
remember that as one of the highlights of the vacation, I will never know. But I hope that they will at least come away from their childhood thinking, man, I remember all of the good times when we were all reading together, or mom was just reading with me, or, oh, I remember that time, you know, when we went on vacation and we read this book and that's just stuck with me forever. Those are the types of things that I I hope that they will remember. Um, And then it goes on to share like, people's personal testimonies like parents about why they read aloud and so that's really interesting and then they have child or uh, school librarians um and teachers that share why they read aloud in their classrooms um and then it says does research support the practice of reading aloud it says in 1983 the commission on reading was funded by the u.s department of education to examine school scores since nearly everything in the curriculum rested upon reading the consensus was that reading was at the heart of either the problem or the solution of declining test scores so if you think about it with tests children have to know how to read and not only do they know have to know how to read they have to be able to comprehend what the questions are asking on tests and if they don't understand how to comprehend what the things are asking then how in the world are they going to do well on those tests um so the commission spent two years pouring through thousands of research projects conducted in the previous quarter century that's a lot of data and in 1985 they issued its report called becoming a nation of readers among its primary findings two simple declarations rang loud and clear number one the single most important activity for building the knowledge required for eventual success in reading is reading aloud to children number two it is a practice that should continue through the grades the commission found conclusive evidence to support reading aloud not only in the home but also in the classroom um One of the cheapest, simplest, and oldest methods of teaching was being promoted as a better tool than anything else in the home or classroom. The single most important activity. The experts were saying reading aloud was more important than worksheets, homework, book reports, and flashcards. It's interesting to note that the findings of a study published over 30 years ago still hold true today. So this is not outdated research and data. This is actually still true to this day. So I thought that that was so interesting. So if a lot of people are thinking, well, that is your personal opinion, Beth, like reading aloud to your kids, that's something that you like to do because you already like to read, but not everybody has the desire to read books to their kids. Not everybody, not all adults have the desire to read books to themselves. It's not a pleasurable experience. My, you know, if you're thinking to yourself, my personal experience with reading was a struggle in school and I hated it and then I hated assigned reading and I only had to read books to write reports on them and I have not picked up a book since I graduated and I don't plan to anytime soon. I completely understand that uh, opinion. But the research shows how incredibly important reading aloud is for all future success. 
if you cannot read well, if you cannot comprehend well what you read, it's going to affect all of your other learning. So it is extremely important for all parents to take it seriously. So the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is the OECD, is a 50-year-old cooperative among industrial countries aimed at helping member nations work through modern growth challenges, including education. For more than a decade, the OECD has been testing hundreds of thousands of 15-year-olds in various school subjects and comparing scores among nations. In addition, the OECD interviewed parents of 5,000 students who were part of the test-taking core, asking them if they ever read to their children and how often the reading took place. The response, when compared with children's reading scores on the Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA, exam, showed a powerful correlation. The more they were read to as children, the higher the scores at age 15, sometimes an advantage of as much as a half school years, a half year schooling, and the results were true regardless of family income. So that's another thing that they're going to talk about in the future. But, you know, if you're someone who has had your child in the traditional school system and you're thinking about pulling them out for homeschooling, it is showing that parents who read aloud to their kids did so much better on test scores uh, or they had better test scores. And that's not something that's important to me. But I love that they did the research on that and the data shows how reading aloud actually helps our kids learn better. They have data to prove it. Um, Something else, this is how can something as simple as reading to a child be so effective? Like, you know, if you're thinking like, why wouldn't flashcards work better? Why wouldn't worksheets work better? Why wouldn't curriculum, you know, and, and, and programs and, you know, all these things that we can buy to teach our kids? Why is reading aloud the most effective? We read to children for all the same reasons we talk to them. To reassure, to entertain, to bond, to inform or explain, to arouse curiosity, and to inspire. But in reading aloud, we also build vocabulary, condition the child's brain to associate reading with pleasure, that's a big one, create background knowledge, provide a reading role model, which is what my mom did to me, and instill the desire to read. It's so important to instill a love of reading in our children. It's not something that you can force It has to be something that you just model naturally, that it's just something in your home that you do, just like you eat three meals a day, you know, instilling a love of this is what we do every day for enjoyment, Um, much more than, you know, watching our favorite TV show or um, playing a favorite video game. Those things are fine, but really the reading is where it's at. There's more research that I want to share with you. Doctors Betty Hart and Todd Risley at the University of Kansas published um, an article that says meaningful differences in the everyday experience of young American children. The research began in response to what Hart and Risley observed among four-year-olds attending the university lab school. With many children, the lines were already drawn. Some were far advanced and some far behind. 
When the children in the study were tested at age three and again at age nine, the differences held. What could have caused the disparities so early? So why in the world would these three-year-olds already have so many, so many differences? Um, it says the researchers began by identifying 42 families representing three socioeconomic groups, welfare, working class, and professional. Starting when the children were seven months old, researchers visited the homes for one hour a month and continued their visits for two and a half years. During each visit, the researcher tape recorded and transcribed any conversations and actions taking place in front of the child. Through 1,300 hours of visits, they accumulated 23 million bytes of information for the project database, categorizing every word, noun, verb, adjective, etc., uttered in front of the child. The project held some surprises. Regardless of socioeconomic level, all 42 families said and did the same things with their children. In other words, the basic, the basic instincts of good parenting are there for most people, regardless of their socioeconomic status. Then the researchers received the data printout and saw the meaningful differences among the 42 families. When the daily number of words for each group of children was projected across four years, the four-year-old child from the professional family had heard 45 million words. The working class child, 26 million. And the welfare child, only 13 million. All three children will show up for kindergarten on the same day, but one will have heard 32 million fewer words. 32 million. If legislators expect the teacher to get this child caught up, she'll have to speak 10 words a second for 900 hours to reach the 32 million mark by year's end. Obviously an impossible task. The message in this kind of research is that it's not the toys in the house that make the difference in child's lives. It's the words in their heads. The least expensive thing we can give a child outside of a hug turns out to be the most valuable. Words. You don't need a job, a checking account, or even a high school diploma to talk with a child. Okay, this was extremely interesting to me. This one says, what offers the better vocabulary? Conversation or reading? This was so fascinating. I had no idea about this before I read it. It says, most conversation, whether it's between two adults or with children, consists of the 5,000 words we use all the time called the basic lexicon. Indeed, 83% of the words in everyday conversation with a child come from the most commonly used thousand words. And it doesn't change much as the child ages. Have you ever thought about how we all use the, like just a few thousand common words? I did not think about that, like in conversation. Uh, then there are another 5,000 words we use in dialogue less often. Together, these 10,000 words are called the common lexicon. Beyond that 10,000 mark are the rare words, and these play a critical role in reading as we grow older. 
The eventual strength of our vocabulary is determined not by the 10,000 common words, but by how many rare words we understand. If we don't use these rare words very often in conversation, where do we find them? Printed text contains the rarest words. Whereas an adult uses only nine rare words per thousand when talking with a three-year-old, there are three times as many in children's books and more than seven times as many in a newspaper. Picture books have, on average, around 70% more unique words than conversation directed at kids. If we want to improve children's vocabularies, we need to be reading to them. A distinctive aspect of picture books is that they tell a different story within 32 to 40 pages. Picture books may seem brief in text, but essentially contain more rare words than a conversation between parent and child. So all of this was so fascinating to me when you think about how, oh, we can just talk to kids and they learn, they learn how to speak and they learn good vocabulary. And, but when you really think about how we don't always use these rare words that you can't find unless you are reading books to your children, it expands their vocabulary in a way that you cannot do in conversation. So yes, conversing with our kids, that is how they learn how to speak, but then building their vocabulary, the best thing you can do is read to them from a variety of good books. So I found that extremely interesting. Um, and the more that you, yeah, the more that you read, the more rare words that you learn and will start using in conversation, most likely. But there's so many words that we just, there's, these are just the most common words and we speak them and we don't always use those rare words in speech. So you have to be reading them to see them. Um, as you read to a child, you're pouring into your child's ears and brain all the sounds, syllables, endings, and blends that will make up the words she will someday be asked to read and understand. And through stories, you are filling in the background knowledge necessary to understand things that aren't in her neighborhood, like whales or locomotives or a rainforest. This is something that I've seen in my own household, that books will introduce concepts and ideas and things in the world that my children would never encounter unless they saw it in a book. So yeah, faraway places that, that have we don't have any experience with, um, animals that we have never seen with our own eyes, um, just ideas and different ways of life and different people in the world, uh, just introducing them to those things and, and those ideas. You cannot get that unless you're reading books about it. And I recently read a book with my six-year-old daughter, and she's the one that wants to be a published author someday and she has written her own stories um, and she just is full of all of these good ideas but we just read a book recently and all of a sudden it was a book that she actually picked out off of the shelf from the library last week and it was about a fox that dug a hole and burrowed into a you know he made his fox's den underneath a pile of snow in the woods and she got the idea 
that she already loved foxes and she said mom I really want to pretend that I'm a fox and I really want to build a den in the backyard but I don't have a shovel (laughs) and I said okay well you can you can dig under our trampoline Um, Because that's already just, you know, mud and some weeds and stuff. And I will give you a little trowel, like my gardening trowel. And you can, you can dig a hole, but you can't dig a hole big enough to climb into. I'm sorry, I can't let you do that. (laughs) But you can pretend. And then she also said, but also I think I want to take a blanket out there because I don't want to like, I don't want to have the bugs crawling all over me. And I was like, well, what you could do is you could put a blanket, you know, kind of, on the trampoline like hanging down so that you can pretend that you're underground and the blanket will kind of like cover you from the outside and you can pretend that you're a fox burrowing in there but like I said I mean the whole point of this story is that she would not have thought of that idea if she hadn't seen it in a book or any of the other imaginative things that my kids have thought of, um, a lot of them came from books that we have read, either books that they have picked out from the library themselves or books that I have chosen to read aloud to them. This on page 12 was so, so, it hit home to me. It said, parents' reading attitudes and behaviors appear to be shared by their children. When parents read for pleasure, it impacts their child's desire to do the same. And that was true of me as a child. I saw my mom reading to, you know, reading to herself and she saw that as a valuable thing um, and she never tried to push it on us. Um, But that's something that I, you know, I got into books as well because she did. And my kids see their dad and me read for pleasure and we talk about the books that we're reading. Um, We discuss them with each other um, and they see that we love it so much. So if you, you know, if there are parents that approach reading to their kids as a chore or something that they have to do for school um, or they're just tired, they're annoyed, they don't want to do it, your kids are going to have that same attitude and behavior towards books. They're going to see it as a chore. They will see it as something that you just have to get through for school, just like homework or worksheets. Um, and that it's not how it's supposed to be at all. So the way that we approach it is the way that they're going to learn how to approach it. So it's very important. The other headlines that they say is some of the headlines in here is why is interest in reading declining? Um, how do we fix the reading problem? Where does phonics fit into all of this? And what I underlined was the U.S. Department of Education's Early Childhood Longitudinal Study. So another study, I love data that supports what I feel is right. Um, This study found that children who were read to at least three times a week had a significantly greater phonemic awareness when they entered kindergarten than did children who were read to less often. So just three times a week. So if you are feeling overwhelmed that you're going to have to read to your children every single day, otherwise it's not going to be effective, it's not true. This is just showing that at least three times a week, you know, we're not always going to get to reading every single day with our kids. Things happen, but you can start somewhere and three times a week is pretty good. Um, They said they were almost twice as likely to score in the top 25% in reading. So it matters. But this is what it says here. It says, what phonics cannot do is motivate. 
Instruction that makes few attempts to spark children's interests and features unappealing texts can decrease intrinsic motivation. So if you were a child in school that had to read from those basal readers or just these stories that were not interesting, they were boring, it was just a way for them to put the vocabulary words and the phonemic things that you had to learn into a story, but it didn't get you excited about reading, then that's that's not going to make kids want to keep reading. They're going to be like, reading is boring because these books are boring. It appears little actual class time is spent in the pursuit of motivation, unless you think test prep is motivating. So in my homeschool, I do not make my children practice reading. Um, I use the All About Reading curriculum for my children, and that's what I've used with all of them from the very beginning. But that is fun stories that they are reading. They are highly motivated to read them because they're interesting and there are illustrations and it's never been a chore. And outside of reading those books in our curriculum, I have never forced my kids to practice reading. I just have a lot of books for them to read for their own pleasure, for their own enjoyment, on their own time in our home. And um, I've never made it a, a school assignment in our homeschool. What motivates children and adults to read more is that one, they like the experience, two, they like the subject matter, and three, they like and follow the lead of people who read a lot. So if you're forcing your children to read, they're probably not going to enjoy that experience and they're likely not going to read unless you force them to. So if you snuggle up on the couch with your kids, I don't care if they are four years old or if they're 12 year olds, I, if they want to snuggle up on the couch with me, I will do it. And then you're sitting there, you're snuggling, maybe you have your arm around them, you do the voices, um, you read funny things and you laugh together. Um, they might point to something and ask a question and you answer it. Um, those things are vital to the experience of reading aloud to your children. It's supposed to be a bonding experience, not just reading for the sake of getting better test scores. That's not what it is. I love this data that shows that reading aloud is so effective and it needs to be done for their success. But when we read more into this book, it is going to show that it's also the best way that you can bond with your children. So... And also choosing books, like they said, if they like the subject matter, that's why I take my kids to the library and let them pick out their own books because they will find books about things that they like already. Um, my oldest loves weather, um, and so he will pick out books about weather or um, you know, all types of things about meteorology. Um, my 10-year-old son loves Legos, so he is always, and Star Wars, so he's always picking out Star Wars books or books about building Legos. Um, my daughter, who is uh, almost seven, really loves animals, like all kinds of animals, and so she will choose a lot of books about animals. Um, and then my youngest really loves, um, she will, she'll pick out anything and everything off the shelf really and we always bring them all home and so if they see something that catches their eye or if it's something that they're already interested in and they see that there's a book about it they will grab it and that is why I let them pick out their own I want them to like what they're reading all right this next section says how does reading aloud create background knowledge 
Children who have accumulated background knowledge bring the prevalent amount of information to the learning table. This background knowledge is acquired by experiencing museums and zoos, visiting historic sites, traveling abroad, or camping in remote areas. Now, uh, except for traveling abroad and camping in remote areas, I have always done this with my children. I've always taken them to zoos. I've taken them to all the, all different kinds of museums, and um, we have visited some historic sites. M- less than I would like to, but we've done all those things in our homeschool. That's part of our journey and our lifestyle. Um, Just giving them all of those well-rounded experiences. Not only should you take them to museums, but also take them to the zoo and also take them to historic sites and also, you know, traveling abroad. A lot of times that is something that not a lot of people can afford. And I've never done that. I would love to, given the opportunity, but we haven't. And then camping in remote areas. I'm not the type of person to camp, but we do hike. And recently we've gotten into water sports like kayaking, which we love. And so all different kinds of things. I give my kids those experiences. Um, And and then it says the background knowledge of at-risk students took a further hit with no child left behind. Does anybody remember that? When 71% of districts narrowed their curriculum to math and reading, curtailing subjects like art, music, science, and languages. Which is another reason why I homeschool, because I don't want anybody else deciding what my children are going to learn about. And we do learn about art, music, science, and languages. So this is the last word on reading aloud vocabulary and aging brains. I thought this was interesting. It says, simply put, the larger the vocabularies, and the more complex thinking processes in youth, the less chance of Alzheimer's damage later, even if they develop the disease. So they did a study on older people and found out that the larger the vocabulary, the more complex the thinking process in youth, the less chance of Alzheimer's damage. Wow. And the last thing at the end of this chapter is this quote by these three... um, researchers that did this study. Um, Susan Kemper was a psycholinguist, and she said, read to them. It's that simple. It's the most important thing a parent can do with their children. In the years since our study came out, I have been asked Marksbury's question many times, like, what can we do? How can we get our kids to, to not get Alzheimer's damage? And it says, parents ask me if they should play Mozart to their babies or buy them expensive teaching toys or prohibit television or get them started early on the computer. I give them the same simple answer Susan Kemper gave, read to your children. So I love this book. Absolutely love this book. If you learned something new today, I am so excited about that because my mind was just blown when I first read this book. Um, And like I said at the beginning of this episode, it completely shaped who I was going to be as a parent after I read this book. It is just phenomenal, full of all kinds of excellent information, and it just there's nobody else that can convince me that reading aloud is not the most important thing that you can do with your children um, for all kinds of reasons that were mentioned in this first chapter. 
So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Um, I will be back next week with the with chapter two of this book. Like I said, I could not break it up um, into just, oh, this one, this overview of this whole book. There was just no way we would be here all day. So thank you so much for listening today. And I will see you next week for chapter two. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to rate the podcast and share it with anyone you think might find it helpful. I would love for you to leave a review so that others can find this brand new podcast for new homeschoolers. If you're just getting started with homeschooling, I would love to help you out. You can email me, schedule a one-on-one consulting session with me, or sign up for my online course through my website. I can't wait to connect with you.